Dropout Podcasts. Hello and welcome back to Adventuring Academy. My name is Brendan Lee Mulligan. We are so excited to have a very special guest with us today. Please welcome Christina Ariel. Hi, it's very nice to be here today. Thank you for having me on your show, Brennan. <laughs> you Hi, Internet. Know- you may know internet. You may know Christina as Ariza from Sirens, as Bera Posset from Critical Role All Honey Honey Heist. You may know her from the Stream of Many Eyes last year, and you will certainly know her this year for The Descent, which should be live to the public May 18th and 19th, which is the Coast's big live stream event. Yes, we're actually playing that Saturday at, I believe it's five o'clock. It's going to be myself, and we're going to have our DM is going to be Marisha Ray, who is amazing. Who's we just had on the podcast, uh, I think, two episodes ago. And Yay. and she's your dungeon master for Honey Heist as well. Yes! So, uh, uh, so playing with Marisha, it's gonna we're going to see that lovely Barra Posset Honey Heist chemistry back with Marisha. That's lovely. I'm very excited. So it's uh, we're playing, it's Marisha's going to be the DM. We've got Deborah Ann Wall, Matthew Lillard, Satine Phoenix, who is also my DM. So like that's going to be really exciting. That's awesome. And Patrick Rothfuss, who is super <sighs> cool, and Kate Welch, who is like, um, so okay, I have to tell you a Stream of Many Eyes story from last year. Yes, please. So at the opening event for the Stream of Many Eyes last year, we had this kind of like welcome mixer and we had name tags and so like you had your name and everything and I was fangirling because I love Kate Welch and I think she's fantastic and she's got pretty pretty hair and she <laughs> smells nice. So anyway, I'm really excited and she gets home and she sends me a picture of the bottom of her shoe and my name tag had gotten stuck to her shoe. I never knew like where it ended up going. So my name tag is stuck to the bottom of her shoe. So basically, I am her Andy and she is my buzz. <laughs> Perfect. Uh, uh, Well, I'm so glad. I mean, this is like the. It's first of all, it is a testament, I think, to this game that every single person I have met involved in playing this game out in LA, both in like the home games I've been a part of, and the people that do D and D performance and live streaming, are a eerily lovely, nice <laughs> community of people. Just like over, to the point where you're like, what's going on here? Everyone is so sweet. Uh, I have yet to be a part of any single game. Satine Phoenix was on the show, the most delightful human being in the world. She's not, I don't think she's actually a human. I think she might be a pixie or an elf. <laughs> Because she's just delightful to be around. She makes me very happy. It's true. And you play in Sirens with her. Uh, uh, mm-hmm. And that is such an exciting, fun game to play in. Um, what is the, uh, uh, in terms of playing a game with this like all-barred campaign, um, uh, is Ariza the longest-running PC you've been playing, or are there other characters you've been running for longer? No, she actually, okay, so background story. I had always wanted to play D&D, but never had the means or a way to kind of start playing out. I don't know. I don't know. It was one of those weird things. But this community, the first person that I met that welcomed me into it was Satine Phoenix. Mm-hmm. We went out to lunch last January, and we had this amazing like talk and chemistry. And then she called me a couple months later and is like, I know you want to play D&D. Do you want to be on Sirens? And I was like... Yeah, so my very first game of Dungeons and Dragons was live on stream. Like oh, I wow. played on Sirens of the Realms. Ariza is my very first character and she that's why she means the world to me. I, I love to play her and everything 
that has kind of grown around it and this community has just been extremely welcoming and it's been like learn as you go kind of mildly thrown to the wolves figure it out but it's <laughs> Satine gave me like a nice like starter of like this is da 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 but mostly have fun and go out and do the thing man well first of all props to you for having the like to go in front of a camera and be like hey this is one of the most complex games ever created <laughs> I'm going to hack it here on the camera in front of you guys. That's awesome. And we also have to sing in games. So it's like it's gotten to the point where now it's kind of second nature. Like we I think my ultimate favorite spell is Scorching Ray. And so I got to do like my Scorching Ray, Scorching Ray and like sing this song about Scorching Ray like as an opera. And like just to be able to grow with this character and to grow with sirens and just from that first game to the family that we are now like the it's just it, this community has been so welcoming and so amazing to me and just to be able to be a part of it and to play this game and like I fell head over heels I mean like head over Ooh. heels with this game beautiful <laughs> like, oh my god that rules yeah, that's I love it. awesome I love this thing and I see you're rocking the beholder pin as I, well okay so Here's, I get to tell this story. I'm very excited to tell you guys this story. So, my dress is actually by Sofia Vergara for her Sofia jeans collection at Walmart. And the pin is a Death Saves Beholder pin. So I like to think that I'm shipping my outfit because it's <laughs> Sofia Vergara and Joe Manganiello. And so my, my dress and my pin are husband and wife. And they love each other. <laughs> And they're very excited to be here. So I just had to say that because I'm very excited about it. I like this is genuine joy. Like, I believe I it. Love it's genuine it. joy for me as well. That's beautiful. Um, uh, that's awesome. Um, so talk to me a little bit because we get a lot of communication on our Discord from fans of Adventure Academy and of Dimension 20 um, of people that that have nerves. And I think that especially with D&D, look, I've been playing since I was 10 years old. And so to me, my whole life has been in this game. And it's something to me that I w like want to share as much as possible. I mean, my favorite thing in the world is to play is to teach this game to people that are playing for the first time and make it as fun and accessible as possible. Even with that, there are so many people that are like, I, I so want this, but I'm nervous that it's not for me, or I'm nervous that I'm going to slow things down, or I'm going to people aren't going to want to help me, or they're not going to want to include me. For you to like jump into something that, even though I think there's a lot of welcoming people involved with it, the game itself can be a little daunting. There's a lot of textbooks, there's a mm -hmm. lot of rules. The game can be a little bit daunting. Uh, were there nerves for you going into that? And what were kind of the lessons learned as you went from brand new into now having been on a regular game for the entire span of the show? Um, I think one of the most, like the big things for me was I was very nervous. I'm not gonna be like, I went in and I was all gangbusters, ready to go. No, have you noticed the whole first half of that game, like while I was waiting for my character to like be introduced, I've got this hood up over my head and I've got like sweaty palms. I'm super nervous. And I had been like in my player's handbook. I wrote and rewrote my spells. I was writing everything over and over to like commit it to memory. I'm on D and D beyond, like trying to like click on the links to like find out like what is this? And I'm scared that I'm gonna like like how many spell slots do I have? How many spells can I do in this game? What am I gonna do? Like it's it's very nerve wracking, but 
I was very fortunate, like, even if I did have a momentary lapse, like, I think that first game, Jason Charles Miller was like, hey, like, this is X, Y, Z that you do. And it's it's very great to play with Satine because she's kind of like, okay, like, if you can't find something in a certain time period, like, we'll roll with it. Or, like, she's not like, you got this wrong. Like, the rules. And that's kind of one of the things I was scared about, especially to do it live on stream, was to have people who do know the game that are familiar with it, that have been playing for years, be like, noob, you don't know anything. Like, that was, like, a gigantic fear for me. But to not have that and to not have that criticism, just to be able to grow as a player, I think has played a very big role in me continuing to play the game and moving on to... I did uh, Iron Keep Chronicles with Saving Throw Show, and that was regardless. She was great, (laughs) but like it's it's just this opportunity to bring out other parts of yourself, and for me, that's a big deal, especially as a black woman in the world. Like to be able to create a character that has like no restrictions that just gets to be this whole person. Even if it's not myself, it's a whole other person. It's another, but mostly like a lot of my characters have parts of my personalities. Like they all tell horrible puns all of the time. But like it's, I get to be lighthearted and carefree and game in a way that sometimes I don't have the opportunity to be in life because I'm always on guard or expected to be something or waiting to disprove this idea that like this preconceived notion that people have me like there's no preconceived notions in the game for me like I get to go in and just be this character I get to go in and live this fantasy life and sing and be carefree until my DM does something that doesn't let me be carefree (laughs) (laughs) it's like I, I, I just love this game and it's it was terrifying at first, but the more you play and the more you bond with your campaign members, I think that's one of the biggest things for me is like these people that I didn't know are some of my best friends in the world now. Like that's that beautiful. is the joy of this game is the camaraderie that it creates since like even like to the internet, to everywhere, like we're together. We have this relationship that I, I can't say that I've had that kind of, like, even in organized sports, that I've had those kind of relationships form so quickly and to go through slang terrasks together and things like that, like it creates a camaraderie. Like even if it's fantasy, it slowly becomes family. Oh, fantasy becomes family is yes. the slogan of the century. Yeah, I, <laughs> nailed it. Nailed it. Uh, that's so beautiful. And uh, there's so much that you said there that is like so beautiful and profound and touching. And I think especially we had um, a friend of mine, Molly Ostertag, on the podcast a while ago who was talking about the increased visibility of LGBT players mm-hmm. uh, in the game. And it's this bizarre thing where, you know, like, I played when I was a little kid, and I remember, you know, the classic kind of gatekeeper mentality you can mm-hmm. talk about in like gaming stores and stuff like that, where there is like a certain type of like this is the type of person that plays D and D, and you watch the kind of gatekeeper mentality. And what's so- I'm here to destroy that completely and fully. I'm here to kick open every gate, and you, no one gates. can stop me. Uh, hell yeah, we we are pro gates coming down here on Adventuring Academy. Uh, and what, what the thing that is so 
profound about that is in talking with Molly about it and also being here, the idea of like these communities, no one could possibly benefit more from the idea of magical, heroic adventure stories about, and the idea too of like, especially you're talking about being guarded all the time. And I think there's something incredible that is available in fantasy and role playing in general with the idea of here is a place for you to explore your identity through the lenses of people you could be in stories mm -hmm. in a way where you get to experience them viscerally and truthfully without consequence in your real life. And talking with Molly about it, it's that same thing that why I think these games are so powerful is providing a story where you can experiment with identity, you can experiment with values, what what does it mean to believe this versus believe this, what does it mean to change in this way, and to do that in a story where you get to explore consequences and reactions of a vibrant living world, and then stand up from the table surrounded by friends and loved ones, having learned what you learned, but not having to deal with those consequences of the real world where you have to constantly be on your guard. It's so profound, and it makes me so happy that those gates are crashing down all around us. Um, really beautiful. And it's important because I wanted to play this game as a kid, but like I wasn't gonna walk into a game shop and get the same type of reception that somebody else might have gotten. And a lot of that, it's terrifying. Like I already had to deal with that as somebody that loved comic books, that loved superheroes, and it's like, you don't like Dragon Ball Z, and it's like, I will come marry you in the face. <laughs> like. It was like I, there was enough of that that I like it was it created this fear, but like I just still wanted it. I still wanted to like instead it was like I'm at home playing video games and doing that. But now just to be able to even have this community and to have this community provide a flat a platform to talk about things that are important to me, and like I know like people kind of do this thing where it's like if you're new to a thing, they make you feel bad for being like the noob label uh like can be very negative but everyone that's a professional was once a beginner like everyone started somewhere just because your story starts later doesn't make it any less valid or of great concern or it doesn't mean that you can't go on to be a great person in that area or influential in that field and i don't really care about any of this stuff like the opportunities that have come because of it I am hella grateful for yeah. I love it and I love the people that this has brought into my life I love the like I wouldn't be sitting right here right now if it weren't for this game and what it's brought to my life but to be able to get people's ear and to have them listen to things that I do truly find important is something that I didn't know if I'd ever have in this life. And to know that it came to me from Dungeons and Dragons and cosplay and all the stuff that I do, like the things that are important to me, like I've been a nerd a long time. And like to know that that would be the thing, like I have made a career out of being myself. Yeah. And that for me is huge. And I'm, I'm really grateful that this door was open and that somebody went to that gate, unlatched it and let me in because it changed my life and it like it's a home. It is such a home for me now. And like when I don't play, I feel like something is missing. If I'm not like in story like creating something, then I feel yeah. like something is missing and I like it I I can't put it into words like what 
this game has brought to me as far as just finding parts of myself and seeing myself and just a space to exist that makes I'm really trying not to cry I'm sorry I'm super emotional but no like I, I really I, I just love it a lot <laughs> first of all if the tears come you can trust me and Alphonse we are maybe not Alphonse but you can trust me um, uh, and secondly yeah it's profound and, and deep and meaningful and it's crazy to me I will say on an emotional level for myself I remember when D&D was not popular and I know that a lot of gatekeeping comes from chips on shoulder around that. And I, I just did an AMA the other day where someone asked, like, what's it like to see a hobby you've been doing since you were a kid suddenly blow up in popularity? And first of all, it's like, well, it, the re some of the reasons that it wasn't popular were people were being actively excluded, mm -hmm. right? And then secondarily, it's like, how, how could I have any reaction other than pure joy to watch a thing that I've known was awesome forever suddenly explode and all these people that have been excluded suddenly get to rush in to the table and enrich the, the entire art form. And like you see that with all the incredible streams that are going on right now. You see that with like the stories that are being told for the first time. And I love what you're saying too about like this game providing a platform to tell a story, to share your values, to share your worldview, because that's what it has always been at its best. Uh, thinking about like the stories that you've told in this game and through these like through this medium, are there any values that you've been able to express or share through Ariza or other characters that you've played? Uh, and is there any, like, I guess on the flip side, like catharsis or revelations you've had internally from playing those characters um, uh, that were like surprising to you through your career playing the game? I never thought that I would use a game to process grief. Wow. Um, so um, I lost my best friend December 23rd of 2006 to a drunk driver. I'm so sorry. And. One of the things that is a part of Ariza's story that we ended up processing just this last season, uh, we went into kind of a dreamscape situation, and it was like we had to face all of our like our worst moments in life. Like the character Zara's had to face her wedding day where her husband died, and for me, like one of the things that Ariza was always trying to like help people and save people because she couldn't save this character, Leanna, and. Leanna is based on my friend Rebecca Lynn Partain, who I lost, and I just to be able to kind of like like to face that in a way that I haven't even in the time that's passed, like to sit down and actually like openly grieve and weep and sing about her and let all of these feelings out that I usually only express one day like on her birthday and on the day that we lost her like because it you get this fear of talking about loss because you don't want to make other people uncomfortable like with grief we hold so much of it inside so to have this opportunity to like remember and honor like somebody that means that much to you in a in a different way through story like I never expected that but I'm extremely grateful for it because I was like that week was a really bad week for me. And I remember when Satine told me like this is we were going to delve into kind of like our 
our worst places. And I was like, this is something that I really need to process and talk out and work through. And like, she made it possible. She gave me like the room. And the, the great thing about the players at the table during that game was that everyone gave each other space. Like, it wasn't like, it's my show. Da, 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 da. Like, it wasn't like a, like, look at me kind of game. Like, it was giving, it was because um, we had uh, Nathan Sharp and Patrick Rothfuss were our guests for that show. And even, like, with their characters working through stuff, they, everyone gave each other room to tell their stories, to work through whatever it was. And even if it was just character related because we get attached to these characters like Ariza is like is me she is a very large part of me as a person and there's parts of me that I'm as open and as I am about a lot of things that are still very dear to me so to be able to process that is so it's just it's I'm not trying to be super deep, I promise. But like, I like be super I, deep. I, like, I'm a well. There's no point to life if we're not going to get super deep. What? What are we going to skate on the I surface? I could be shallow. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but like, no, I like I like I'd rather talk real with you. And like, that's how this game is for me. Like, I deal with very real things through it and process. And I love that everyone has that opportunity to live their truth like to be truthful to be honest even in this fantasy like we have so many opportunities to just exist and that's grief that's joy that's love that's so many emotions and no one's afraid of it i've seen grown men crying game and realizing that there's nothing wrong with grown men crying it's very normal your emotions are valid honor your emotions and this game gives you a chance to be emotional and honor those without any fear or worries and concerns about being seen as less than because like it's everything like we can be so much and create so much and there's an honesty and truth that we find in this that I honestly have not found anywhere else yeah first of all thank you for getting real and being deep because <laughs> Truly, I say this with full disclosure that I was a philosophy major, and I apologize, and that's a bummer for everybody. Uh, but uh, uh, the only, what are we doing in this life if not getting to the real shit that actually matters and is deep and profound and significant? And uh, if we do some puns along the way, that's great. Uh, regardless, um, uh, but I, I to nerd out on on everything you just shared for a second. So my I was raised by, uh, my mom was a, a writer and she was also a Celtic uh, Arthurian scholar. I went to like spring Celtic Beltane festivals growing up and we had like Joseph Campbell in the house and you know, all this stuff. And it's not lost on me. I th and I always kind of circle back to this in my head, which is always the idea of mythology. And you go through all over the world and you will find rituals of shared group communal storytelling uh, and people you know wearing masks to create profound spiritual mythological significance I don't think it's lost on me that some of the most cathartic moments I've had have been when I was pretending to be someone else because and I think it, weirdly it comes back to walls and putting your guard up in a way that a lot of ego and a lot of the moments where we are 
ourselves living in the material logistical world where we're late for a thing and we got to get to a thing and the checks got to clear and we got to get to the thing and it's transactional and material and clicky and yada 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 it's no wonder that this layer of grime builds up on you that makes it i think hard to reach catharsis and especially when huge traumatic things happen or or not even traumatic but just like moments of grief or moments of intense loss that you sink into that material grime covering your regular day-to-day -day self and you can hold off processing and you can hold off on growth or transformation and it takes going to Gelgador and being the hero, Fistandantilius whatever, Darien Silverspear, it takes becoming that a second to suddenly let the fucking walls down for a second. And, and stop saying I'm fine. And stop saying I'm fine. And you're making the death saves or you're watching as your ally does or something is happening in a moment. And because it's fake, fictional, you let your walls down because you're like, this is a story. But your walls come down nonetheless. And we've talked about this on the podcast before that like your imagination is the same center of your brain that processes visual information. Like your mind's eye and your eye are the same thing. Uh, you, you store memories of stories in the same place you store memories of your life. Your brain doesn't sort out powerful stories from your real life. And so you let those walls down because it's fiction, and then all of a sudden you're having a profound experience and you're processing something that can transform you. I like I can think of times that I've had like moral revelations, moments of like profound sadness or emotionality, discovering shit about myself that was like either like confirmed something that I always thought uh, that wanted to be true or then going into a character and discovering something that I didn't like about myself and suddenly had the strength and perspective to work on. Like all of that is so profound. And the fact that it's like we're like having slices of pizza and some soda and there's some dice getting rolled doesn't really change it from the primal ancient act of like shared mythology and finding human truth through character and storytelling. But I think it also goes back to what we were talking about earlier with the, some of the people that you meet being like some of the kindest and tenderest people that you've ever met. And like, I think a lot of that is we have shared tragedies. Like we've all, a lot of us have been through tragedies. A lot of us have suffered losses. A lot of us have gone through traumatic experiences and to have this place that is in itself kind of this safe space to exist that a lot of us have not had because because of our traumas because of living in that place of pain and suffering and letting ourselves stay there like we finally have this place where we know how it is we know how safe it is we know how it made us feel we know what we've been able to express and overcome and work through and we see other people and we want them to have that. Mm -hmm. It's not to keep it away. It's not like that's why we're seeing this breakdown of the gatekeeper mentality is because there is a lot of healing in this community. There's a lot of healing in this game that we, in this storytelling, in this shared experience, and we want other people to experience it. Yeah. And like the people that have welcomed me in and I mean, people like Tanya DePass and Matthew Mercer and, of course, Satine and Marisha. Like, these are people who, Eric Ishii, of course. Like, these are people who have, like, welcomed me openly with open arms and I've cried with. I've talked about life and experiences. And then, we like, we play a game together. But, like, th there's so much to it that is just 
beautiful and brings us together. And I want, like, it's like church. I want to go and it's like tell it on a mountain how much I love this game and these people and they're amazing and they make me feel so good about myself and I want to make them feel good and if they're like sometimes I just like pick up the phone and it's like my people in the game I'm just like hey like how are you today how's your heart how are you feeling because there's such a bond that's created through this and I'm so freaking grateful whoo <laughs> yeah yeah, I mean, there's nothing else to say, but there's just gratitude. Yeah. It, yeah, it really is. Uh, and the people you meet here. And I think, too, that there is something powerful about the idea of um, the game and the silliest, most fun parts of the game still are about teamwork and an adventure. Like, nothing, there is no winner to D&D. Nothing, your characters can die, but there's no real loss or winning. And to me, it's like everything that makes the game significant are the stakes you put in it and bring to it and the way that everyone loves their characters and falls in love with the story. And so, like, I don't think it's an accident that you find communities of people that are inherently, like, social and helpful and kind and want the best for people because the game on a mechanical level rewards that. It is about that. It's about groups of heroes working together. Um, it's literal teamwork. There's no me in team. Well, there's technically there's a me in team. There's no I in team, but there's a me. But you don't focus on the me because you focus on the team. Yes. And there's and also in te- in the word teamwork is the is the word or such as or we could do some audience questions. Yay! <sighs> I gotta get better at these segues. Um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, uh, that was just a profound conversation. I really loved that. I wanted to acknowledge that before we moved on to these. Let's talk more. Let's talk more. Um, guys, uh, we get all our questions from our Dropout exclusive Discord server. Uh, if you want to submit questions, you gotta sign up for Dropout. And I don't know why you haven't already, because if you're watching this interview on YouTube, you could have been watching it weeks earlier if you were signed up for Dropout. So. Are you saying that they could drop out of YouTube and start watching on Dropout? Woo! You heard it here first. Um, our first question here is from CIT. Thanks, CIT. What are some ways for an anxious or nervous player to build better role-playing skills? This is a great question. What are some ways for an anxious or nervous player to build better role-playing skills? Um, start role-playing in random places. This sounds really weird, but I'm dead serious. So one of the ways, like, also, anybody wants everybody. You want everybody to have a good day, I hope. I hope you're the, those kind of people. But, like, go to McDonald's and, like, speak as your character while you're doing an order, like, in the drive through Like, use your character in different parts of life to get used to them. And, like, do it in those, like, if you have a robocall. Nobody wants to take, like, a, one of those calls. But... They can be very fun if you play it right. I'm just saying. Somebody calls you and they're like, hello, ma'am, I'd like to talk to you about your credit card. But I don't have a credit card, ma'am. But you do have a credit card. No, I don't. Do you? And then you just kind of carry on. And it's like, then you start asking them about their day. But you just do it as your character. And instead, like, talking to strangers is... I mean, I know they tell you don't talk to strangers, but like I talk to strangers my whole life because strangers are only strangers till you say hello. But like use those opportunities to like 
speak as your character to get used to talking in your character's voice or whatever that may be and just like it is like just go out into the world and like be your character sometimes that you have hello why yes I will be voting in the local school board election perhaps you'd like to tell me more about the candidate you'd like me to endorse yes that is exactly it those are the things you've got to do and like it gets less awkward the more you do it well, it's only awkward until you do it. That's the thing. And I think there's a big thing in that, too, which is that idea of um, are there, is there going to be some awkwardness when you start role-playing for the very first time? Yes. And the trick is to treat that like uh, – there's, there's an old quote that I love. It's a very one of those old, like, stoic kind of quotes. And it's, if you're going through hell, keep, keep going. going. That's a country song. Is it really? If you're going through hell, just keep moving. Don't. I'm from yeah. the country. Anyway. <laughs> but that's true, which is like, I promise it will get – less awkward with practice. And that's an answer. We get a lot of questions on the podcast. I get a lot of questions online from people that are like, what's the one secret tip that's going to make it? And it's like, log more hours, do it more. I know it's not fun. I know it would be cool if there was like the one trick DMs don't want you to know. (laughs) But there is no such trick. Uh, uh, It's called long hours spent (laughs) getting used to this and doing it over and over and over and over again. It's really true. I would say, too, that uh, as we often say on the podcast, conversation is key. So if you're feeling a, like a little bit um, shy or anxious about role playing, I would bring that up to your DM and to your fellow players. One of the things I think is nice, especially if you're playing a lower status character, is to form, before you start playing, a pre-existing relationship, maybe even with like a higher status character who's in that game, where you can have a friendship there so that... Some, so that a player that has a lot of ease driving scenes and making big choices also knows to look out for you. And I think it's incumbent on people that have the ability to create space for themselves to create that space for people that uh, need some practice getting used to doing that. Yeah. Um, uh, and I think that if you're a little bit shy or anxious, be like, yeah, be if, if you're playing like a quiet wizard, be friends with the loud bard who's mm-hmm. super charismatic and they can you know, create situations for you uh, to get your sea legs under you, to get used to that kind of thing. Or you can do like I did my first couple of games and just take a few minutes to cry. <laughs> just cry. <laughs> If you need to, like, cry, be nervous, like, feel that whole thing. I did. Literally, before we did, I tell the story all the time, before we did Honey Heist, I was super nervous because it was like, I'm at this table of people where I feel, like, super out of my league because it's like, oh, you're, you like, and I felt like, <laughs> like, why am I here? And I was super anxious, and I, like, I cried. I felt super nervous. And then Talis and Jaffe came over, and he gave me a really big hug, and he was super nice to me, and he stood off to the side, and he was like, and it was kind of like there's there's something in having like if you see one of your players like fellow players that's super nervous like in just telling them like go have fun it's going to be okay at the end of the day it is just a game you're going to feel your feelings and your those feelings are valid your nerves are valid honor that but just keep going but like the you're going to be okay from someone is sometimes the best possible thing that you can do like whatever's going to happen is going to happen most of the things are going to come down to the roll of a dice but just let it happen and live in it 
and feel your feelings, get them out, and then go out there and do the damn thing. I love that. Uh, also, Talos and Jaffe is the sweetest human being that there has ever been. With the best hugs. He's awesome. I truly talked to him until 5 o'clock in the morning because I, I was like exhausted. I was like, I can't stop talking to this guy. He's the most interesting human being I've ever met in my life. <laughs> That's what happens when you live for a thousand years. Like, you just like <laughs> become the coolest person to ever exist. Whoa, so that was what the Fool's Crusade was. Incredible. That's like all this ancient history that you've lived through. Someone knows secrets. <laughs> um, I love that. There's actually something I love about what you just said too, which is that uh, I this is this is a little bit on me because I think I, I had a situation where I was teaching an improv class and I responded a little bit robotically, but someone did. I, I ended up saying a version of what you said, which was someone was like, we have a class show at the end of eight weeks and they get up and perform on stage in front of people. And you know, it's, it's just like, it's, it's not even mandatory. They don't have to do it, but it's like we provide an opportunity to go perform on a stage. And one of the students was like, um, it's like week seven, we're almost to the class show. They go, what, uh, what if the class show is bad? And I looked at them and I was like, you'll feel awful and go home. You'll feel bad and go home. And like I, this is on me for being a little bit robotic. But I was like, oh, you'll just go home and you'll feel bad, and then it'll wear off a couple of days later. And I hope you'll keep doing this. And and then it, it was like that was clearly not the. They wanted the like you're gonna do great. And I was like, most I, first shows are gonna be bad. And I was like, you might be bad, <laughs> you know. But and what I ended up saying to them was, I said. Uh, uh, and again, this, this sounds overly harsh, but I meant it in a really positive way, which was basically like the person said, "Well, what, like, what do I uh, uh, like? I, like, I'm just nervous about doing a bad job." And I went, "Okay, do you think you'll get so nervous that you won't do the show?" And the person was like, "No, no, like, I'm I'm gonna do the show no matter what." And I went, "Cool." So then, in a kind of lo logistical way, at least, your fear doesn't matter like you're gonna do this you know it in yourself that you have what it takes to do this and if you're afraid as can be and you do it you still did it and it's like there's a so it's certain to what you're saying of like like honor the feeling it's like cool you're afraid you're still gonna do it and you're gonna get good at it and it's gonna happen maybe in the first 10 seconds of playing or maybe it'll happen after a couple sessions but you will find it in yourself. And uh, I don't know, for me, there's something in that idea of like, yeah, be afraid and it doesn't have to stop you. After about three hours of trying to play as a certain person, you kind of, you eventually get there. You click in. <laughs> and it's like, and it's not. Like I wasn't immediately a Riza when I started playing, but like as I got more into it and she became more a part of me, I like, I knew what she would do in a scene like versus what I would do. And so much of that is just like, shh, let it happen. Like, like seriously, like just let it happen because it's, it's, it's terrifying. Like yeah. to do stuff that's outside of your comfort zone, like be it gaming, be it improv, like those things are going to be uncomfortable and terrifying. But if you don't do them, you'll never learn to get better at them. You'll never learn to like give yourself space to grow and to get better until you do it. A million percent. That is absolutely true. Um, this one's from Titanium featuring Leah Goo. It's, it sounds like a sounds like they're dropping a single. Um, I'm the hottest mixtape of all time. All time, Titanium featuring Leah <laughs> Good. K104. Um, I'm the most experienced member of my group by a long shot. 
most players in the DM started within the last year. How can I, as the experienced player, help facilitate a good gaming experience for the DM and the other players without taking away from the DM's world building and without other players feeling secondary? Right now, whenever there's a lull, I find all eyes are going to me to guide the party to the next step, and it's a little pressuring. Uh... This is a very interesting question. I've definitely had this experience because I've had friends run games and very kindly invite me to come play. Um, and uh, I think that it's, uh, there's a lot of fun being an experienced player at the table. There's a lot of things you can do to help the game that don't involve taking status or control away from the DM at all. Honestly, the biggest thing that I do when I play games with people is I'm like D&D rules lawyer for the side of justice, like pro bono, where I'll be sitting there in a combat and have my other friends playing and they'll roll and they're like, okay, that's five damage. And I'll be like, you forgot your sneak attack and throw your dexterity on there too. Like making sure that other people are, because a lot of the times people mess up the rules, they're actually not gaining an advantage. Often they're messing up the rules and penalizing themselves in the process, like forgetting to add bonuses they would get, forgetting to roll with advantage when they would. So if you're an experienced player, I think you can actually help your players find moments to shine, to remind them, like, no, your character's able to do this, your character's able to do that. We've had a lot, of, like, you're talking about your first time playing was on camera. Allie Beardsley, their first time playing was on camera for Fantasy High for Dimension 20, our game. And uh, they were right next to Brian Murphy, who's the DM for NADPOD, and he was, like, helping Allie out with a couple things, like, oh, no, you add this bonus here, you do that. So I think your role as the experienced person at the table can be to help other people shine and not to really steal focus, but to like help lift up the experience of other players at the table. And in that situation, though, remember, it's not what you say, it's how you say it. Mm -hmm. So make sure that you're not saying it in a way that comes across as like, not you, you, but like mm -hmm. you, but like just make sure you're not doing it in a way that comes across as condescending or like I'm judging you because you don't know this because there's a lot of nerves involved like as the new player that's still trying to figure these things out. And even if it comes down to like, writing a note as the experienced player, like writing down certain things and being like after the game, hey, like here's some stuff I thought that might be helpful for you going into the next game and stuff for you to learn. Like taking those opportunities to just kind of to educate in a way that's not making someone feel bad that already might feel bad or might feel like their inexperience makes them unworthy. Yes, I think that's really critical. And I think too that when it's what that is something that's really hard to navigate, honestly, as a DM or if you're just an experienced player at the table. This game is filled with rules, the vast majority of which are optional. Like Think about every rule for every class and every subclass. The majority of those, if you have a four a four player party, are not going to be referenced. We're not, you're not even going to have characters of that class in the game. So to have a knowledge of the depth and breadth of the rules, D and D always is going to have a. Uh, disequilibrium between how much knowledge one person who's been playing it forever and ever and ever has versus new players. So to me, the ethics of teaching and the idea of imparting knowledge without judgment or condescension is critical to the continued existence of this game. Like, this is a game that has to be taught. No one's like cold picking up three books from a shelf and is like, I don't know anyone who likes this, I've never heard of it, but I'm gonna give it a whack. This <laughs> makes sense to me. This makes sense to me. It is kind of a sourdough of a game where you get a starter who's already been playing for a little while and they kind of bring it to a new group of people. So I think you have 
of ethical responsibility to share knowledge with kindness, warmth, and zero condescension anytime you're in this environment. And you have different DMs. Like I've played with a lot of different DMs now at this point with, with lots of different styles and it's like you've got the like this is the rigid rule thing to also like rules we don't got no stinking rules like <laughs> it's just kind of like it, it all comes down to the people you playing with it, you can be in a different situation by just switching campaigns with people like it's read learn D&D Beyond is an amazing resource as yeah. far as coming from D&D Beyond say herself I think it's really great to make sure that you go and you like use those resources. There every time you click on a different area in D&D Beyond it tells you about like what is this for, how it's used, mm-hmm. like what this special magic tool is for and like utilize your resources like make sure you tell new players utilize your resources don't just rest on your laurels if you have the time like go pick up a player's handbook and read learn more about your character Mm -hmm. but it's not you're not going to know everything right away like it's impossible i think that's absolutely true and if you find yourself on the flip side of that of having more experience i think that anytime you are bringing a lot of experience but you're in a position where you are a peer so it's like it's not proper for you being like look i've been playing for 15 years i should be the leader of our party like you don't you're a peer even though this person's playing for the first time today and you've been playing forever you are still both pcs of equal status in this party so i think the best thing you can do when you bring a wealth of experience and knowledge to a relationship of peers is to not lead but just model like cool you've been playing for 15 years you have a lot of experience be the person listening to a dm who's struggling to get their first description of a dungeon out and you're not on your phone. You're the one who's really looking and modeling, like listening. Be the one who, uh, you know, if there's a crosstalk at the table while one character is trying to have a really important moment for their character, be the person to go like, wait, I want to hear what's going on with this big emotional moment for this character right here. Like, you know, you have the experience, so don't think about leadership or like how do I drive or lead. Think about like how do I model what wisdom I've collected from playing this game before? How do I just, rather than do, how do I be, if that makes sense? Yeah, and on both ends of that question with the experienced player and the non-experienced player, learn to hear, learn to listen, like, but also learn to give. Like it's, there's so much of it is literally learn to give, learn to receive and like receive that openly and know that the people that are in your campaign are probably coming from a really great place and just trying to be helpful. So just listen and I know that it it gets to be a lot feeling like everything is on you to like move something along, but also know that it won't always be that way. So give those other players the grace and the time to learn and just like ask them a question, like a very leading question, like as part of the campaign, like, oh, we're gonna go do this thing. Why don't you go check out that box over there? What do you think of that box over there? Maybe there's something in, I don't know, like like lead it in a way, but also do it in a way that gives them an opportunity to speak up that so everything is not on you. Exactly, yeah, creating space and providing opportunities rather than, you know, ruling with an iron fist. Unless you have an iron fist, in which case that'd be really awesome. <laughs> You're like Jamie Lannister. He literally has an iron fist. Uh, or gold. Gold. It's, it's like great. a gold plated or something. It's like a, it's a gold plate. And it's also like half fist. It's like he's, he's got a weird. It's, it's, it's at, like, a, at an angle. Like 
I want to know like what Tywin was thinking. It's like you didn't think about your son's the love life. The most important so. thing for a Lannister is to be able to do that queen wave, like from the back of the car. A Lannister always waves his hand. <laughs> I mean, that's got to be where we call it. Uh, Christina, this has been an absolute joy. Thank you so much. I'm walking away from a conversation about D&D feeling like a much better person. I feel like centered and my breathing is like, ooh, feels That's good. my superpower. <laughs> uh, our guest today is with Christina Ariel. Christina, thank you so much. Thanks. Oh, I'm, I don't know if my name is spelled down here, but it's K-R-Y-S-T-I-N-A-A-R-I-E-L-L-E. It has a K and a Y, not a C-H-R. <laughs> Uh, uh, for ease of looking up and following on social media, which you absolutely should do. Christina, thank you so much. We'll catch you guys next time on Adventuring Academy. This has been a Dropout podcast. For video of today's show, plus more exclusive series, go to dropout.tv.